right. Bring it in, grab a chair, and we will get started in our time in the sermon. Uh, today we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, if you need to get a finger in our passage for today. Another one of these one verse per sermon sermons. If you think we're going slow, we're not. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones famously preached through the book of Romans in, I think it was 13 years, uh, and the single verse that Mike preached last week was five sermons for him, so really, we're going at lightning speed, exponentially quicker. Well, you find that I was, I was thinking of a thing this week. My whole life, I have, I have missed out on an experience that I think many people would consider fairly fundamental to, to a normal life. Um, it's, there's a joy, which I have not been able to take part in which is shopping in second-hand stores. No, no luck for Matt in second-hand stores. <laughs> you enjoy the second-hand shops, do you, Keith? You love them, yeah. Well, this, no, you, you, you serve my illustration quite well here, Keith. I find that whenever I go to a second-hand shop, nothing is in my size. This is the problem. Um, I, I am just a different size or shape to previous generations, to posterity. That's, that's the only thing I can conclude. Uh, old clothes in op shops are either too short for me or too round, and there's nothing, nothing in the middle, it would seem. Um, I have a theory about why this is. Yes, it could just be that I am a different size and shape uh, to, to previous generations, but I have another theory why I think many men share my experience, which is that blokes in general don't tend to donate their clothes to op shops, in, at, at least not at the same rate that my wife does. It, it, sometimes I feel like the main use of the boot of our car is storing her clothes which are waiting to be donated. I got a few, yes, a few amens around the room. Um, my old clothes don't get donated because my old clothes are my favorite clothes. <laughs> Why on earth would I give them away? By long association with my person, my old clothes have been conformed to my person. You like that, Mike? Conformed to my person. No jeans fit so well as old jeans, do they? Actually, um, just, just this, this winter just passed. I had to buy a new pair of Ugg boots, and I still don't trust them. It's, it's like wearing strangers upon my feet. Uh, but maybe, maybe by next year or the year after, they will be part of the family. The simple fact is that the clothes that have spent the most time with me most resemble my shape. Um, today we are considering a single verse of the Bible which warns us that, much like an old pair of jeans, we are in the habit of being conformed to the thing that we spend the most time with. And it's very, very important that we be conformed to the right image. Why don't we take a read, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Such a simple verse. So much meaning. Um, this is a continuation of, of what we heard last week. We are still living in view of God's mercies. We are still offering ourselves as living sacrifices, but what we learn today is that God's mercies propel us to cease the process of being conformed and instead to be transformed, cause us to be transformed into a better image. It's good news. So what we're going to do today is we're going to consider this simple verse at length. Uh, and I expect that there'll be more than enough help in here for a single week. If, uh, if this process has its intended effect in us, we have a very good promise, which is that we will be able, that's, that's you and I, will be able to discern 
What is the will of God? A will which is good and acceptable and perfect. If you want that in your life, then this verse has something to say to you. Really, it's, it's, it's quite simple, isn't it? There's, there's, there's a matched set of commands here. Two things that we have been told to do. Let's consider them one at a time. The first is a command given in the negative, a rule of what not to do. What we are not to do is to be conformed to this world. Brothers and sisters, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. Conform here doesn't mean so much fit in, though I suppose you could say that that meaning would fit. But more specifically, it means take the shape of, fit into the pattern of. Uh, And the word here in the ESV translated as world is actually ion, which more specifically means this, this age, this time. The idea is this. The present time in which you and I live and breathe, where our entire life is lived, has a pattern, a shape. It runs on certain principles, spiritual principles. And since the first chapter of Romans, we've been learning the bad news that the pattern of this age is a broken pattern. The, the, the whole of creation is fallen from its original created potential, and so the world that we live in is broken, and nothing looks like it should. Nothing is as good as it was before the fall. Nothing perfectly resembles God's creative design. Much um, uh, talking about ages, uh, Mike's been taunting me all week about the, the tragic dismembering of the Lord of the Rings, which has commenced. Speaking about ages might be a, a sensitive topic for some as a result. The age in which we live has a pattern. It has a shape. And that shape is to be in open rebellion against its creator. And that rebellion is wreaking all sorts of havoc. Much like how the world of Arda was left scarred and broken after the rebellion of Morgoth against Eru Iluvatar. Lord of the Rings fans in the house. We read about this in chapter 1, verses 18 to 22. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. The default state of being for all humans in this age is to be conformed, to be reshaped, to be discipled and recreated in order to match the pattern of the times in which we live. It is both nature and nurture at work. It's our nature because we all share in the sinful fallen nature and it is nurture because this world is very good at discipleship and both those things together are producing the endless cycle, were it not for the grace of God, the endless cycle of condemnation. It's a cyclical problem. 
I have a sinful nature which opposes God. And I live in a world which opposes God. And that world disciples me and shapes me and conforms me further and further into its own broken image, its own broken pattern, rather than into the image of my creator, which gives fuel to my sinful nature to oppose God, which contributes to living in a sinful world, which opposes God, which continues to disciple me. This world and its broken systems of being and of believing are evangelistic. Turns out that everything around us is is continually preaching a message to us of how life should be. A message about what is good, what is important, what is true, what is worthy of my time, what is worthy of my sacrifice. A vision of flourishing and of success. And every time you turn on the TV, every time you talk to your neighbours, every time you sit in the lunchroom, every time you read the magazine, every time you scroll the feed, every time you go to the event, every time you see the advertising, you are encountering sermons that this world is preaching and you are being shaped. You're being discipled. You're being conformed. And your own sinful nature is driven to comply with these fallen sermons. I feel like this this problem is in some ways true for this generation more than ever in some ways. All humans ever have, have struggled with this. And yet, in your pocket right now is the world's megaphone through which it is discipling you into its values and beliefs in a way that was never possible before recent years. You see, you and I were born into, we were enslaved as part of this fallen, futile pattern. We are unable, unable to escape this problem under our own steam because the pattern isn't just a thing outside of us, it's it's part of who we are. The problem isn't just that we make bad decisions sometimes, but rather that by our very nature, we are part of and slaves to a broken image. We are taking part in it. We're not not all doing that in the same way. We're not all walking through our days, being at our very worst every single second of the day, and yet there is no part of us which has escaped this cycle. We are hopelessly, hopelessly lost. That was the bad news. But then, but then hope has arrived. We have been hearing for how long now about the grace of God which comes to us through the cross of Jesus. And it turns out that the mercies of God are transformational. Jesus can do what we cannot. When we entrust ourselves to Jesus the Savior, He causes us to be born again to a new life, a new life which is defined by different spiritual principles than the ones that defined our former life. Anyone who believes that Jesus is the Son of God and that He really did die in our place on the cross, in our place and for our sin... Anyone who believes that continues on to entrust themselves to him, 
in order to receive his grace, and immediately upon doing that, receives from him this new life, the beginnings of a new mind, set free from the former controlling forces of life, we receive all the blessings that Jesus has won for us. If you have yet to do that, may I take a moment again this morning to invite you to receive Jesus in this way. These are his words we are reading today. He is the one inviting you, yes, you, to come and to be reconciled to God by faith in him. Today is a good day to receive the forgiveness of sin and eternal life. It is for all who believe. Now I must say that our passage here today is not focusing on that beginning. It assumes it. Rather, assuming that that beginning has already taken place, assuming that you are already inside of God's mercies and in view of God's mercies, we are being told to, (laughs) what next? (laughs) What next? Having had that downward spiral broken, what are we to do about this pattern? We are not to be conformed to it. And then we come to the second command, this time in the positive. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Brothers and sisters, that's a command. A quick side note here. I'll be repeating myself a little, but it bears, it bears repeating. There is a mistake to avoid when we read this verse. The, the worldview of, of modernism has had an effect in shaping all of us, which may cause us to read meaning into this verse that is not there. That is not there. The modernists believed that a person would do the good which they have been educated to do to do the good which they have been educated to do. There was a few assumptions in their worldview about how the world works. They assumed that the mind is basically the whole person. Uh, They optimistically rejected the idea of a fallen nature over which we have no power. Uh, They believed that you and I can transform ourselves and that all that was lacking, usually, was the tools to do it but that these tools could be provided through education alone. It would be a mistake for us to believe this verse is teaching that information transfer is enough for us to be transformed. Much of modern counselling is based in this sort of worldview, and whilst uh, it has its uses... It is true that we can train ourselves in order to improve certain outcomes in our life. It is also true that you cannot, by mere education, live a life pleasing to God. We have a a higher need which requires a supernatural, not a natural solution. We don't just need better ideas, though we certainly need those too. Do you understand? 
We need those better ideas to take root in our lives with the power of Jesus so that they will transform us into a better image. Paul isn't here 12 chapters into the book of Romans, abandoning the gospel and becoming a self-help guru. The salvation which begins by grace and through faith doesn't continue on by self-righteous works. The Bible talks about our personal transformation as Christians in more than just this one place. And as far as I am aware, this is the main one, if not the only one, which focuses on the mind specifically. And yet it does focus on the mind. And so with that said, let us consider what it does mean. Part of the problem of our fallen nature is not just that we have wrong desires, wrong affections, but also that our minds have been broken by the fall. Our minds have been broken by the fall. We read it quickly in Romans chapter 1. Describing the whole human race, the Apostle Paul has said, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. A few verses later in verse 28, it says, Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up, to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So there is that cyclical problem that we are trapped in, and isn't it terrifying to think how deeply this affects each and every one of us? We like to think of ourselves as perfectly rational creatures who have a proper perspective on everything, but it simply isn't true. One of the effects of the fall is that not only do we not understand as we ought, but that we are actually deluded. We do not perceive the world rightly. We are confidently committed by our very nature to heading in the wrong direction, away from God. Our whole life lived before we met the Saviour. It was as if the view that I had of the world was through a set of glasses that were colored. Have you ever, have you ever worn like orange sunglasses? Sometimes people wear them for driving at night. And it changes everything. In a certain way, from birth, we have seen the world. We have understood the world. We have thought our own thoughts in the pattern of this age. But the good news is that now as a Christian, those, those lenses have been removed from my eyes and I am now given new eyes which help me to perceive the world around me. This, this, is, this is shockingly good news. But before I looked at the life my neighbors were living and I was jealous of them. I, I wanted their life. I thought they were living the good life. But now I see that what they are lacking is the most important thing in the whole world. I, I looked at the moral standards of this age and I applauded with the crowds about how tolerant and wise we have become in the present age. 
but now I have received Jesus and I see the lost depravity of our condition and the harms that we are creating, which could so easily have been avoided. This is part of the difference which salvation makes. Before I only had ears for the world's sermons, my mind thought the world's thoughts. I was being conformed into that deathly broken image. But now, because of Christ, in in my heart of hearts, I have ears to hear a different sermon from a different voice. I was deaf to this before. I didn't know there could be another voice. The, The thoughts of this age were my own thoughts. It was inconceivable that there could be another way. But then I heard the impossible. I met the unexpected. A voice I was once deaf to, but now I hear. And he speaks to me. This voice speaks with such overwhelming power that this new voice is gradually drowning out all competition in regards to the shaping of my life. What once seemed so important, so convincing, so certain, is is fading away. It even appalls me at times. I have lost my taste for it, for that which once delighted me. It has lost its grip on me. Do you relate to this? This pattern, which was once my pattern, is now alien to me. I no longer belong to it. Now there is a new voice, and this voice is a beautiful voice. It is the voice of my Savior, who is singing me back to life again. He is recreating me by his words of power and his spirit of life. And he's calling, he's calling now. Awaken and see. Do you hear it? Perceive rightly, he says. See through my eyes and understand what you were blind to before and miracle of miracles. I do. I do. I see now and increasingly so. And this this new knowledge is being applied to my soul by that powerful voice and it is transforming me. Day by day. Jesus is giving me ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to believe him. As he speaks to me day by day, I am escaping from that former pattern. At each of his words, another scale falls from my eyes and I again perceive what was previously invisible. And instead of being conformed to the pattern of this age, which was so inevitable before, I am being transformed into a new pattern, into a new image. The image that I am coming to resemble is the image of Jesus, the one whose voice I have come to hear and the one whose power is at work in me. And more and more and more each and every day, now my own voice is singing in harmony with his. Some significant part of this transformation is happening in my mind. In my mind. 
as a Christian, my thoughts are being redeemed. The fall is being undone in me. All of that is the effect of grace. This is what God's mercies accomplish. It's all his doing. And yet, strange thing of strange things, this verse comes to us as a command. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? As a command. Think with me, just really quickly. Look at the the back half of chapter 2. I'm sorry, verse 2. What are we being told to do when we are told to be transformed? How do I go out and be transformed? (laughs) Aren't commands in the middle voice strange? I am not being told to transform myself. That's not what's being said here. Nor am I being told to be the mere passive recipient of transformation. No, I'm being told something like, whilst you cannot do this apart from the mercies of God, having received them, cooperate. (laughs) Jesus is doing this, so stop opposing him and start joining in with him, pulling in the same direction as he is, so far as it depends on you. Do not make the mistake of asking Jesus to be your savior, and then continuing to only listen to this fallen age's sermons. Instead, choose to let his voice be the loudest one in your world, and then actively take the steps that enable that to happen. That's what you're being commanded to do. As a Christian, what is it that causes my mind to be made new? The answer is the words of God applied by the Spirit. The words of God applied by the Spirit. If the words of God cause my mind to be made new, how do I get access to those? <laughs> In case you didn't know, in the Bible, this is a massive promise. A massive promise. We are being told that for the one who has the Spirit of God, the Word of God is going to transform us to such an extent that we will be able to discern God's will. Discern. Other verses say approve and test. It's probably a better translation. It's one word. I will be able to know God's will for me. I will be able to know the difference between these things. And God's will is worth knowing. It's worth knowing. Why? Because it's good. Do you believe this? God's will for me is good. Maybe before, when I was living in the fallen pattern of this age, I doubted his goodness. 
But now as a redeemed person, I am growing into seeing and to trusting that not only is my God good, but that he is working all things together for my good. God's will for me is good. And I'm going to be able to know what it is, to discern. God's, God's will for me is acceptable. By acceptable, we mean pleasing, satisfying, suitable. God's will is satisfying. B- before, when I was living in the, in the fallen pattern of this age, I, I doubted. <laughs> I doubted that living in God's will would be satisfying. I thought it would be to, to miss out. No. Because his will is perfect. It's complete. It lacks no thing. There is nothing better than God's will for me. Now I know better. And so, the command to renew my mind is a command to encounter God's will, uh, God's word, sorry, in such a way, in such a way that I am now able to tell the difference between what his will is and isn't. What is good and what is evil. What is helpful and beneficial and what is destructive. What is true and noble and what is deceptive. I get to see out from the bubble that I used to live in and to perceive my world and myself correctly. Jesus is going to do his part. (laughs) We know this for certain. What's my part? I would put it to you today that for God's word to renew your mind, you not only need to know what it says. That's not enough. Like the, the, the letter of James tells us the devil knows what it says. It's not doing much good for him. We need to know more than just what it says. What we need is for that word to penetrate into our inner being where it can go to war against all the false sermons that I hear every day. There are two two words which I believe aptly describe the relationship that we need with God's word in order to fulfill the command to be transformed. Those words are frequency and depth. There is no substitute for these things. Frequency and depth. Frequency and depth in the word are the things that help me get at the transforming voice of my Savior. Frequency. All day, every day, the fallen world is preaching at me. It is not hard to hear that sermon. How many chances does Jesus get to offer a counterpoint? I have some control over this ratio. Did you know this? (laughs) You have some say in how frequently you hear his voice. I can place myself in situations where I will hear the voice of Jesus through his word every day. 
I can choose to read the Bible every day. And just like our prayer lives, our reading of the Word is more urgent than we believe. I can choose to ponder on what God has said throughout the day. I can choose to discuss this Word with somebody that I live in, for most of us, and for the unlucky few who, for whom that isn't possible. I can call a Christian friend. When, when I get into the car and I turn on the, the radio... I can choose to listen to music with scripture-soaked lyrics that reinforce the message of my Savior to me. I can listen to sermons where the word is preached. Yes, here at church, also by the magic of technology. Anytime you want to. What a time to be alive. Something good's going to come of this technology stuff, right? I can listen to sermons, better ones than the world is preaching. I can listen to the word so much that it starts to come into competition with the other things that fill my mind because I get to choose who I listen to. Did you know this? Frequency matters. Frequency matters. By simple repetition, <laughs> you can help Jesus' voice be louder than the world's. And depth. Depth matters. The call to depth is, is the call to let your reading of God's word penetrate past the defenses. Are you like, we've all done that devotional day <laughs> where we, we read the words, we ticked the box, we closed the book, I did it today, that's enough. I'm not the only one, I guarantee it. That's not what we need. What we need is for the words which God has spoken to penetrate, penetrate past my defenses, to make it into my heart of hearts, for me to consider what I have heard from God in a personal way. I need to let God's word raise all sorts of questions in me. I need to pursue answers when I need them and I don't have them. I need to compare myself to this word and interrogate myself with it. Is this how I look? Is this how I believe? Is this how I live? I need to put God's word to the test. I need to step out in faith and do what it says and then I need to notice the outcome. Brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian here today, we have been rescued. And in view of those mercies, no longer be conformed to the pattern of this age, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is a promise, and it is an invitation. Let's accept it. Let's pray. Our Father, we confess this morning that to live life on autopilot is easier. 
it's in a sense natural to be conformed into the wrong image. And were it not for your mercy, it is all we would ever do. And so we thank you for Jesus this morning. Thank you for a better word. <laughs> thank you for a better sermon. Thank you for truth, which is actually true. Thank you for intervening and redirecting and breaking the strongholds which, which defined us. Lord, we want to see the world the way that you see it. We want to have your view of what is important, what is good, what is praiseworthy. We want to have your understanding of what it is to flourish, to live the good life. We want to know you. Father, it is you. You are what was missing in our former understanding of life. And it is you who makes all the difference. So we thank you for your promises this morning. We thank you for the indwelling spirit and the provision of your word and the knowledge that you will bring to completion the good work which you have begun in us. We thank you that in this command we stand on top of absolute certainty of effectiveness. We also pray that we would, we would heed your call. That we would work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That we would guard the good deposit which has been entrusted to us. That we would press on toward the upward call in Jesus Christ. Father, I need a new mind and it's only going to come from you. So I confess this morning how lightly I have held it, how foolish I have been, how much I have presumed upon your grace for me whilst ignoring your continuing grace for me. I thank you. I thank you that that's not the end of the story. As a church, as a congregation, we pray. Would your word be central in our lives in a transformational way? Would we experience it more and more in increasing measure? What it is to have our minds renewed? Would this be a church which thinks in holy patterns? Which builds our lives on your steadfast promises? Which clings ever more closely to the precious escape plan that you have given us. Would we experience what it is for your will in our lives to be good and pleasing and perfect? Jesus, we want more of you, evermore. It's in your name we pray.